Good morning. By no means, I'm going to even try to add to that. Amen. Um, you would turn to uh, Acts chapter Acts chapter 9, starting verse 1. Uh, have a real quick, you know, I've always got a joke. I've got a little story here. I want to start you with Acts chapter 9 as you're turning. Um, as a backpacker, I play many gigs. Recently, I was asked by a funeral director to play a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a pauper cemetery in the Kentucky backcountry. As far as, uh, as I was not familiar with the backwoods, I got lost, and being a typical man, I didn't ask for directions. I finally arrived an hour late and saw the funeral guy had evidently gone already, and the hearse was nowhere in sight. There were only the diggers and the crew left, that were eating, and they were eating lunch. I felt badly and apologized to the man for being late. I went to the side of the grave and looked down, and the vault had already been put in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to play. The workers put down their lunches, began to gather around, and I played my heart and soul out for this man with no family or friends. I played like I'd never played before for this homeless man. And as I played Amazing Grace, the workers began to weep. We, they wept, I wept, we all wept together. When I packed up my bagpipes and started for my car, though my head hung low, my heart was full. As I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I've never seen anything like this before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. <laughs> it's all about perspective. That's what we get, guys, for not asking about directions. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Story of Paul and the meeting with Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. Let us read together. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if they found any belonging to the way, and notice that that is a capital W, it was those who were following Jesus Christ. He says, found any one of the way, uh, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went <clears throat> on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless and hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. And there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And <clears throat> the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here, I'm, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight into the house of Judas. And look for the man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard about this man, how much evil he has done in the, uh, to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. 
But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is chosen instrument of mine. Listen to that one more time. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry the name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, and he was strengthened. If I would, I ask Brother Charles to pray for God's word and for me. You do that. Amen. I'm a coffee shop philosopher. I love philosophy and I love coffee. At least I like what coffee does and it melts sugar. And uh, I, if you want to talk about anything, if you want to grab a cup, we can talk about it. But one of the things, one of the old uh, uh, philosophies that we talk about often, or, well, I would like to talk about more often because I got some time to waste sometimes drinking coffee. And that is what happens when an unchangeable or an unmovable force, object, is hit by an unstoppable force. It's as old as the hills. It's been talked about for hundreds of years. And there's really no answer to it. And I guess that's just why they made coffee shops, so you can sit and talk about it. But just to use that premise for just a second, my question is, is what happens when an unchangeable God meets an always changing man? What happens when an unchangeable God meets with an always changing man. It seems like that in life that is always changing. There's days when I feel I could charge hell with a water pistol, and there's some days that I could just trip over the next pine needle in my spiritual life. And I think, um, I'm, I'm hope I'm not alone. If, you are, if I'm the only one here, please, everybody come talk to me about living the Christian life because I need your help. But I don't believe I'm the only one here that's like that. There are times when I believe I could just take it on full force, headstrong, but there's many times I fall right at my very feet where I stand. But what happens when there's the unchangeable God? See, Jesus said, uh, uh, Paul later on, I believe that he wrote Hebrews, in Hebrews it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, the beautiful part about that is, is the, in, in Bible schools it's called immutability. Is the idea that he does not change. Why is that so important? That's so important is because God's always going to be where he's always been so when we're hunting for him, we can find him. And he's always going to be just the same way he has, he's always been that when we do find him, we'll know what we're going to get. In the... Hindu religion, there's, I think, 3.3 million gods. I hate to know that there was the guy out there who counted all those. But to figure out who you had to give sacrifice to 
and who and how you had to give sacrifice to each one of those and what kind of prayers you had to pray. We would go mad. I don't understand how they do it because I'm so thankful that I believe in a God who's always there. He has promised us time and time again that if you seek with me and you seek me all your heart, you will find me. It should be a praise in our hearts and our minds every day that there's a God out there that we can find. That there's a God out there that cares for us and loves us so much that he does, he's not just skipping around. He's not hiding behind some cloud, some, some faraway galaxy. But he's right there at our very next prayer going, come on to me, child. Let me help you. Let me help you. We have a God who does not change. And can I hear a praise God for that? If we were to notice, if we were to notice and we start seeing how beautiful, just because, see, all the other attributes of God, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, um, um, all those different things, uh, all those attributes really doesn't matter if, they're, if one of them was not true, and that is that he changes. I mean, if, if he changed, then he could be all loving this day, but be not powerful enough this day. Or, or this minute, he could be all powerful, but not all knowing, so he wouldn't know what to do with his power. But all those attributes are, are sort of cemented with the idea that he does not change. And we should be very thankful for that, because the very same God that my grandfather and my grandmother talked about is the very same God that I get to serve today. The very same God who, who brought Moses, bringing the people out of Israel, and the hope that they had is the very same God I can have hope in today. Can I tell you that when you're in a hopeless situation, it seems like that the light at the end of the tunnel is just another train. The great part, one of the beautiful parts of God is that he does not change but we have the always changing man it seems like that we're always changing our emotions tell us hey i'm doing a great day yesterday uh, of or friday afternoon i was able to fix my hair like i like it and uh, it was going to be a good day and i loved it and i uh, just felt the wind blow through my hair and uh so anyway we uh just a great day but then there's days you wake up, and you're like, what am I even doing here? Am I the only one in the building? All right? Okay, y'all wake up. Some days we can charge hell with a water pistol. There's nothing, you know, anybody that walks within 10 feet of us is going to know about Jesus. But it's, the next day it seems like we could be beat up with a flower leaf. We're always changing. We're always changing. In our spiritual lives, it seems like there's days that salvation is just as real that we'd reach out and touch it. But when the enemy works so well, and he does his work for so long and so well, he beats us up to finally says, look, dude, there's no way you're saved. You've been doing that right there, and you've been doing it for so long. There's no way in the world you could be saved. Can I tell you, that we're always changing.
You've heard it about some friends of yours even. The whole idea of, well, well how so-and-so, or go to the boss. You know, you hear about you picking out the mate with the boss, and so you ask one of your coworkers, well, how's it going to be in the meeting? I don't know. He seems like he's having a good day, but we don't know for sure, right? We're always changing. But my question is, is what happens when the always changing man comes into the presence, has a meeting with the unchanging God? And we see that here in Scripture. Even Paul, excuse me, that's his uh, later name. He had a name change. Before Paul, he was Saul, and on his road to Damascus, he tried to. He had to. He had to rest warrants. Uh, could have been some uh, killing going on as well at some point if they didn't act right. And so what happens? He has the warrants in hand, and he has the legal ability to go and capture those people and bring them back to Jerusalem, and they will be dealt with with the higher powers persecuting the people of the capital W way, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's riding there, and there, he's almost there, by the way. I can almost imagine he's, he's amping up, getting ready to, to go and capture. He's amping up for it, and then all of a sudden, from heaven, the heavens split for just a second, and there's a light that comes down, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have never had a meeting, if you've never had your Damascus Road meeting with Jesus Christ, my friends, I'll tell you, please go and search because there's a Damascus Road meeting for each and every one of us if we will search for it. The great part about it is, is God knew that Saul may or may not be asking for it, so he just rolls up on the scene himself, and he says, Saul... Why are you persecuting me? And he asked, Who are you? Capital L, Lord. He knew it's somebody higher than he was, by the way. Capital L, Lord. Who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. And by the way, it's the same Jesus that in the Old Testament, in the very first book, created the heavens and the earth, the things we can see and the things we can't see, I am that Jesus. There's an outside chance, I don't know this for sure what little study I've seen, but there's an outside chance that he's actually using the same words, I am, as he did in Exodus, which means when Moses asked, who am I supposed to tell sent me? He says, I am that I am. So basically he could be saying, I am Jesus, God, Jesus. And so he's met Jesus on this Damascus road. And when, when a all cha always changing man meets a never changing God, what happens? First of all, you fall off your donkey. First of all, you fall off your donkey. What that means is you stop doing what you've been doing. You fall off your donkey because what you've been doing hasn't been working. You may think it's been working, but it's not working. And can I tell you, even as a 10-year-old boy who's never been a drug dealer and who's never raped or murdered or pillaged or anything like that, even as a 10-year-old boy, I had to stop what I was doing so I could start doing what Christ wanted me to do as a 10-year-old boy. And can I tell you, when an always changing man meets an unchanging God, things change, and one of the things is you've got to fall off your donkey. You've got to stop doing what you've been doing and do what God wants you to do. 
But when a always changing man meets an unchanging God, things change. Got to fall off your donkey and you got to start doing what he wants you to do. See, Paul had been doing what he's been doing for a long time. He started off in the lower ranks. If you remember in Acts chapter 7, um, Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60, he was the guy that held the coats for the guys who went and stoned Stephen. He started off in the ranks, moving up. Now he's the one who's going and he's, he's persecuting these Christians. He's, he's arresting them, and some of them are, are being, even if they're not putting up with it, they're killing them, bringing them back to Jerusalem. When an always changing man meets an unchanging God, things change. The man changes, not God. You get knocked off your donkey, and you start doing what God wants you to do. He done exactly what, what he wanted to do. He, he, he had people to, to pick him up and bring him on into Damascus, and then Ananias came and met with him. And it says... But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. See, when you meet this unchangeable God, things change. You become an ordained instrument of the Most High. Well, it's my right or it's my choice. Can I tell you that when he died on the cross, he paid for all of that. It's not my right anymore. It's not my choice anymore. I need to follow Jesus Christ and do what he's told me to do. Can I tell you that the unchanging God is in the changing business? Because if I was the same as I was as a 10-year-old boy doing what I want to do, I would be in the prisons that you talked about. I would have been in the jails and the prisons and the rehabs and all that. It took me, he caught me early, and I'm very thankful for that. Ten-year-old boy, even though I was a pretty good kid, whatever that means, I would have been a pretty terrible adult. He caught me early because that's what God does. A ne never-changing God is always willing to change us in a way that will produce hope and glory. It brings hope to us, and it brings glory to him because that's what an instrument does. When, it, when you use a tool for what it does, it brings you hope that you're going to get the job done, and it brings glory to the one who uses it. And so what we should do as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, is we need to fall off our donkeys and start doing what God wants us to do, forget about what we want to do and do what he wants to do, and so that we became, can be his instrument and guess what? That we can have hope and that we can bring him glory. That is our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. The one thing that he has changed us to do is to be in the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Well, let me go ahead and read verse 28 because that's pretty popular. We know all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, for those uh, verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
when the always changing man meets the never changing God, he changes us to become his instruments. He changes us to become his instruments that we can have hope and he can have glory. There's been a few other folks in the Bible who've had some meetings with the non-changing, never-changing God. Genesis 5 tells us that God changed Enoch's address. It says he was walking with God, and all of a sudden he was not. He translated him right into God's presence that day. Genesis 32 tells us that God changed Jacob's name and his stride. God, while he's wrestling with him, God touched his side, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his years. Exodus 3 tells us that God changed Moses from a shepherd of sheep to a pastor of people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was changed from fuel for a fire to a focus of worship to the Almighty God. Matthew 4 tells us that when Peter and Andrew met Jesus, they were changed from fishermen to fishers of men. John 21 tells us that on a beach, when meeting with the risen Savior, Peter was changed from a cussing turncoat to a preaching tender of lambs. Acts 9 tells us that on the road to Damascus with a light shining and a Christ-speaking, uh, Christ Saul was changed from a persecuted Christian to a planter of churches. Can I tell you that when you meet a never-changing God, he will change you to be an instrument for him. I am convicted. Because there's times that I'm, God could use me as a tool in my family's life, someone else's life, and I sit back, lean back on my, lean back and say, hey, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. When I could have been the instrument God wanted me to be, and I would have hope and he would have glory. And I rob myself of hope, and I rob him of glory because I could have done what God wanted me to do, and I didn't. So if there is a, if there is a um, invitation today, and there will be, we're going to have it in just this few seconds. If there's an invitation today, the invitation would be is to meet with the unchanging God today. And if you've never met him, if you've never met Jesus Christ, and never asked him to forgive you of your sins, and, and, and because for our sins, we deserve hell. But if you've never asked him to forgive your sins, I pray that today you would ask him. And if you ask him, he'll forgive you. Because that's one of the things about being the nature of God is, is he's truthful. He's always faithful. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And if you ask him to forgive you your sins, he will. And if you've never asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, do that today. But those who have done that in the past, you've had that meeting with the um, never-changing God, then can I ask you, will you pray today to be the instrument of him? That you will have hope in that. That he will receive glory for being the instrument, for being the tool of God, for to be the one that he uses to change the world. Because if you've ever shared the gospel with one person, you may not have changed the world, but you've changed their world. And that may be all God's ever called you to do is just change one person's world. But you can't do it without him. And he could do it without you, but he's decided not to. He's decided to use you.
And so I pray that this morning, as in just a few seconds when musicians come, Brother Casey will be up front, I'll be up front. When we finish praying, this will be your time to stand and do business with God. Dear God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for your grace. I don't understand why you use people, but I sure am glad you do. And I don't know why you use uh, bald-headed fat fellas to preach your word, but I sure am glad you do. And God, I don't always do what you tell me, and I am so sorry for that. But God, I pray, Lord, you give me boldness and you give me strength to be the tool that you want me to be, to be the instrument that you want me to be. God, I pray, Lord, that each one of these folks here at Friendship Today and, and Christians all around the world today would be the tool that you want us to be, that we would have hope and we would give you glory. God, we need you today. We're living in a dark and ugly world. And God, you told us that it's going to be dark and ugly. It's nothing new to us, but God, we need you today. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would use us today, Lord. This world needs us. It needs Christians who are going to do your will and are going to follow your way. So God, I pray today that we'd be a church willing to give up what we want to do so that we can honor you. You're such an amazing God. In your name I pray, amen. If you would, please stand, do business with God this morning.